Welcome, adventurers. So here we have found our way to the very, very end of Season 5. As usual, we're going to do a little questions and answers interview, but I really wanted to start this episode off in absolute thanks. Uh, This season, uh, very long as it was, uh, brought on three new Natural 20 tier patrons. Uh, So my greatest and most heartfelt thanks to Paul Spurgeon, Stephen Green, and Jason Stein. All so much thanks for your support uh, to the show. It really, really does mean the world. And though those are the new, I am immensely thankful for my three long-time Natural 20 patrons, Todd Makovich, Dmitry Ryaboy, and last and certainly not least, my longest and very first Natural 20-tier patron, Carolyn Carney. To each and every one of you, thanks is hardly enough for what you have done. But now on to the questions. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. (laughs) Spontaneous interview, take two. Yeah. Super (laughs) spontaneous. Yeah, so for these of you at home, uh, we're about to do an interview episode, which you've just done just a minute ago. <laughs> uh, the joys of recording, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure anyone, if you have a podcast, or if you decide you want to do a podcast, there's always some audio goblin out there to make your life exciting. So. Don't do it! <laughs> Here we go again on what is your first listen through, but our second run at the, an attempt at an interview for the end of season five. We hope it sounds so natural. Yeah, it's going to be very spontaneous, <laughs> and I will act utter surprise in what questions come up. As <laughs> uh, but she asked good questions, so I'll answer them just as thoroughly oh, as I, I have hope before. So. So I do good. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with me again is my lovely wife, who's on her technically six interview for five seasons, as we've just dropped <laughs> one, uh, and uh, has been kind enough to listen to my stories and to think about them and to give these interviews, which I really enjoy. Over and over and over. <laughs> there you go. Let's try it again. Interview, take two. Interview, take two. Well, it's it's only fitting. Since it was such a long season, it needs two <laughs> interview takes. That's what it was. Yeah, needs twice as much. Yeah, there, there you go. go. It's just cinder, that's all. Yeah, the mischief a is... A little bit of cinder going on. Abound. There you go. There Don't, you go. We didn't give our proper... All right. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, usually when I write questions for our interviews, I like to listen to all of the um, episodes over again and just kind of recap them. But there yeah. were just too many episodes. So I like your uh, rules episode. I sort of followed a different format this time. Sure, so absolutely. The questions are a little more broad ranging. So yep. hopefully you can answer them again. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I can. Let's see if I still remember. So just focusing on Reenoch and uh, Sender's relationship together, sure. I am not familiar specifically with the different pantheons in the world. Correct, yeah. So I did have to ask you some clarifying questions. But yeah. 
what I learned from you was that Cinder is not necessarily in the pantheon of the halfling world. Yeah. yeah is half, that correct? Of the halfling race. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what inspired you? I do, I do want to back up and say that I was thinking about, I was listening to it and going, well, what would inspire a God to, to attach to a being that's not really in that particular, you know, line of, of, um, patronage or whatever. And, And then I kept thinking, well, these characters don't exist by themselves. So I was, I was very happy that I could go home and just ask the creator. Right. Um, So what what inspired you to to create a deity that was attached to this this halfling that wouldn't necessarily be um, that wouldn't necessarily be right indirect sort of normal worship? Yeah. Uh, I mean, as kind of as an oversight, I think one of the things that I have yet to do or failed to do was release my pantheon of gods and just as a quick overview the elves the humans the gnomes and halflings and dwarves all kind of have their own pantheons that they for the sun and the two moons so the sun which is soul uh cerise being the the red moon and uh virgin thank you ah i got it oh my gosh and arjun being the other moon i'm the best wife ever (laughs) you are so whereas the humans would worship Gorion for the soul and Roselia for Arjun and Cinder for uh, for Cerise, you would have a different, uh, for each of the other races, those four races anyway. Uh, the halflings now share two of the gods with the humans, but they actually pick one of the dwarven goddesses uh, for the red moon, Cerise, which they actually worship. But in this case... Uh, I just have the world where it's kind of all of these people have made these different gods or goddesses for the same beings that they consider all powerful. And even in my own mind, I don't, there's a certain amount of many faces to the same thing. So if you have the god Gorion and then a version that's elvish or gnomish or whatever, maybe there is some overlap there, or maybe they are really just looking at different facets of the same thing. Uh, but going specifically to Cinder, uh, Cinder isn't a kind of goddess uh, that I would ever imagine having a church. It's not like people go to the church of Cinder. She is a much more folksy, I would say, sort of goddess uh, that is definitely into chaos and mischief. Uh, and that a majority of people that are going to be invoking her name anyway are thieves or gamblers or people that are down on their luck that are really kind of actually almost desperate in a way to... Yeah, really just garner her favor as she they believe she governs luck. And I think that's because of how chaotic what she represents is very much kind of chaos. Uh, that being said, I think then Cinder isn't bound by who should or shouldn't believe in her. She is going to pick whoever she's drawn to. Uh, we have, uh, in season three, there was a character, Fion, uh, uh, Tar Thistle, I forget what the last name was, Fion, who was with Karya on a mission into the desert. He led and guided her. Uh, he's actually, and is referred to in the story, as a great-great-great-uncle of of uh, Rianok. And so, to me, there's just this reoccurrence of something in the familiar line of, of her family that has drawn Cinder to 
like that particular group of halflings or something about them, or there's some variation that comes out genetically uh, that the god goddess is drawn to. And why why do you feel like a a deity would would choose to be attracted to a, a being? Sure. That hasn't evoked them. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I think you have a situation where it's always odd. Across all fantasy for me, the theory of a god, especially when it's kind of an interactive god where it's actually going to travel to the whatever planet or, or land that it's on and interact and talk and speak, as soon as you, I'm going to say humanize, but whatever race you wish to with them, as soon as you humanize a god, they're above all things, but then there's also rules that may or may not apply to them. Like, are they able to be manipulated? Or do they have desires and wants that are unrational, and do they actually know everything? So for me, I think Cinder's attraction to to uh, Rianok may be another unexplained mystery where she doesn't know why she's drawn to, but, but has seen that there is a purpose for Rianok in in this timeline, in this world, and has been drawn to it. And so she has chosen to pick pick a champion, basically. Mm-hmm. And Cinder wouldn't be held held by decorum, basically. So she picked the champion that she wanted. Mm-hmm. So. And so in this this season, sure. Rianok's magic... Right. And I just feel like all the magic in right. this season went from like zero to 60. <laughs> um, is there inspiration for that or are our characters leveling up in this season? Yeah. Well, yeah, and you do see. So Rianok's story, the way it was told, uh, her original story, she would have been a very, very low level character. And we a lot of her origin story is her discovering that she can do these very minor things. There's a, a scene where she's controlling the color of fire. Uh, there's a scene or a mention of her beginning to create her own light. Uh, these are very low-level spells called cantrips. But by the time we get to the last season of the story, uh, which is the Undying Emerald, and they are making it into Roshan and uh, into Borjin, and then even further to get to uh, to Anganar's lair underneath the Grey House they're up to already level 12. So the amount of magic they're using at that point is because their powers have grown and they've been adventuring for quite some time. And yeah, so they've grown as magic users. So as far as D&D goes as a game, they would be considered higher level and have access to more spells and solving more problems with spells. So. And I just want everyone to be proud of me. I'm not a D&D person. <laughs> and I did write leveling up on my notes here. That's right. It's wearing off. You're going to know some <laughs> D&D whether you want to or not. Um, I know you and I have discussed this a lot, but I just feel like in Romeo and Juliet, there's, I feel like there's like, the moment where they're like, hey, we need you to be dead, and then we need you not to be dead. So there's, like, this convenience of the poison, and you're going to take this poison, and then you're looked at, and then you're not going to be dead, but it's really sure. convenient, right? Yeah. Um, And I feel like there were times when I came home, and I was like, it's just not fair that you just, like, have this magic, and then they bring, they're dead, and then you just bring them back to life, and right. it just isn't fair, right? Yeah. So um, I just wanted to recap on that. Sure. Uh you roll for saving throws. When a character loses all of their hit points, you move into what's called death saving throws. So 
you're in a situation where you basically, it's basically a coin flip. I think it's actually tilted. It's 10 plus, so you're tilted slightly towards success. So you either have to roll three successes above, 10 or above, or three failures, nine or below. If you roll three successes, your character stabilizes, meaning you're hurt, but you're not going to die. But if you roll three failures, then your character does in fact die, uh, which there are high-level spells that are expensive to deal with, but uh, most adventurers for quite some time wouldn't be able to do much about the three failed death saves at that point. But yeah, uh, right. That's kind of death-saving throws. And... Um, now you get to tell us again what happened. <laughs> what happened, Joel? What happened? So there was. <laughs> <laughs> what did I come home and say? This, this isn't fair. You're cheating. And you said. Yeah. So. And did you throw? <laughs> no. So <laughs> my lovely wife here was frustrated with the story and the uh, the seemingly never ending dying but returning situation. And in specific, there was an uh, a, a scene in in the Undying Emerald, where they had gone to attend the Mummer's Fair and had to fight their way out, uh, pursued by criminals and assassins. And uh, Ketri, as I wrote, and Rianok both were dropped and would have been in D&D a zero-hit-point situation. Uh, and then I wrote later in the story that they were stabilized and then revived. And this was the the point in which you came to me and said, I'm, I'm not good with that. Did you roll? And I... I had to admit, no, I did not roll. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. But then it bothered me, so you went to work the next day, and I got them dice out and started rolling <laughs> uh, just to see what would have happened. And so Rianok went success, success, fail. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And then fail, and now it's just a coin toss. And luckily for us, and maybe Cinder, who knows who's involved, uh, Rianok was, in fact, stabilized through natural means, which means she would have been fine. But then Ketri, my big tough girl, of course she's just going to blow right through. So she rolled a success and right on track, and then I rolled a natural one. So in death-saving throw terms, that's two automatic failures. And now i got to roll two more successes before I run one, roll one failure, which was looked really terrible. But, again, uh, apparently the story writing gods and Cinder and whatever is involved, I rolled two successes <laughs> after that. And so was not a specific liar in that specific case. So and your wife uh, kept you honest. That's true. And my streak, <laughs> my streak of manipulation is still only one manipulated <laughs> roll all the way back in season two or three. I can't remember what for there was an Ortoval and Stare roll. But so as of yet, if I rolled for it, it's as it's in the story as is with the exception of one. But, I mean, that does bring me to a point that really baffles me and <laughs> blows my mind that you, when I'm reading these stories yeah. as a non-D&D person, sure. I, I listen to them as you are a storyteller right. and I'm reading a story. And right. it, it transports me into that story. And then sometimes I stop and I go, <laughs> is that the story he wanted to write or was that something that the dice told him he had to write? And so it really is amazing. Do you do you write the the plot based on what you've rolled, or do you write the plot and then roll for what's going to happen? Yeah. So there have been larger combats. Uh, there was a combat. The first one I did, I think, was the dragon combat. But there was also a combat with a cyclops in season two or three. Uh, there was the little scuffle this season between uh, Sarkeesian and some thugs with Colborn and Colfin where they kind of met. Those are all scenes that uh, I actually I play out the combat, write down what happens turn by turn, and then turn those turn by turn 
uh, roles and consequences into a story. Uh, there are other times, like the death saving throws, where I just assumed that it was plausible for them to succeed, though I was obviously by the skin of my teeth plausible <laughs> in that one. Uh, and then I, there have been some other times where I've rolled for uh, perception checks, like which is like to notice something. Uh, and in fact, in this story with the Rianoch story with, uh, with her Child of Shadow, Child of Mischief, uh, there was a story where she was breaking into a house that it turned out Sarkeesian, Colfin, Colborn had been taking a job to guard. And at the end, uh, Rianoch had disguised herself to look like their boss, but due to the spell's restrictions, she could only be so tall compared to her already short self. Uh, luckily, the character was also sort of short, but when they walked out, my intent was to have Sarkeesian notice this difference. <laughs> And curse myself, I rolled, and she absolutely did not, would not have noticed in game. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? And <laughs> so then I had Colfin roll, and he rolled very, very high. So that was a thing that was changed uh, in story by, you know, what my intent would have been by the dice. I so. love that part of the story. <laughs> the best part. So what would you have done if you kept rolling? And Colfin didn't, and then Colborn didn't, and yeah. then and then what? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, at some point you got to tell a story. So I think it would have been another time like Snare and Orcival where I would have needed to Change fudge the role and 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 message it. But it again, it worked out, and and it's yeah, I don't know if there would have been. I would have tried. I would have tried my hardest to make it uh, some plausible something to do with dice, but mm -hmm. but uh, and it worked out, but. I mean, given the story, those characters have to meet for me to finish telling the story that right. the intent was. So. Right. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about how long the stories have been. And uh, obviously the longest stories yet. And yeah. in fact, when I was re-listening for uh, my, my homework for our interview, <laughs> uh, I listened to... Um, uh, Child of Shadow and after the last one you gave your little blip yeah. where you're talking to us and, and you say there you go the longest story to date and I just started laughing and laughing right. because Undying Emerald was one one episode <laughs> longer so. yeah um, so talk a little bit about what it, was that an artistic process that you're going through where the stories are getting longer you're getting sucked into them you're yeah. wanting to put more information into them or yeah. what What's happening with that? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> so before this, I have never written. I've never written particularly. I mean, I've written college papers and I've written <laughs> little bits of this and that, but I've never written fiction or fantasy or anything before. So this whole journey, this whole podcast has been discovery about writing and it changing in me discovering who I am as a writer and how that comes out. And uh, I'm not in control of it, obviously, <laughs> as I uh, part of it is I have a schedule to keep. So I have to get an episode out. So if I only write part of a story and then I'm not done to the end, I can't edit it down to, you know, say it came out six episodes and then I only wanted three. I could theoretically edit it. Uh, this season in particular, I was writing basically week to week. And so stories were as long as they were. Um, the God, God, Goddess, Goggles, all the people's honest truth is the final story of this season. The Undying Emerald easily could have been 
another four to six episodes. Uh, it was grossly abbreviated, the last three episodes of that story. And I think what's happening here is I've told all these stories, which in a lot of ways have set up a story that I'm telling. And the story is really the story of Mela and her companions, right? And so these stories that have, the closer and closer you get to Mela and what's going on, the longer and the longer the story gets because it really is kind of her journey and their journey uh, and what happens. So a lot of all these other things that have been going on are, are very, very, very important to the world and the events and the events that uh, Mela and her uh, companions will be affected by. But now that we have a lot of that hashed out, like these stories, the that story of how they got from you know, being attacked on the road many seasons ago or a season ago, I can't remember, a season or two ago, all the way up to further up the food chain, getting closer to Anganar and closer to the uh, Emerald Scarab. Uh, all of these events were to tell their journey. And it is a party, you know, D&D speaking, it's kind of a, a campaign from uh, level one for many people up to whatever level they wind up in would the story would meet its natural end. So it's a writing journey. It is a, it was a long way of saying that's a writing, it's a writing <laughs> journey. Hey, see, I can't even answer a question short anymore. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Which for those of you who haven't already done so, you should check out the interview that Joel did with uh, Writers with Coffee. Writers Drinking Coffee. Writers Drinking Coffee. It's on your Patreon feed. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are on, are on Patreon. Yep. Which if you're listening to this right this second, you are on Patreon. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there you go. So yeah. what can we expect from the next season? Yeah, so this is where uh, adventures and journeys take their own path, I think. And my adventure and my journey uh, needs to stop. I can't. All the things I've learned, I've learned a lot about writing and about making a podcast, uh, but for everything I've learned, there's 10 or 20 things I haven't learned or mastered yet, and a lot of those things are business things, how to promote the show, how to make it uh, listened to by a wider audience, uh, and despite the energy and effort I've put into it, really, uh, listenership has grown, but grown very, 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 very slowly, and so... I'm at a point where uh, I need to be done. I need to be done with what's going on. And so season six, which I, to begin with, had not, wasn't even sure I was going to write just because I got to this kind of wall. Um, Season six, what I'm going to do, and it's going to be sort of abrupt, is write, write what would be the eventual ending of this story. Uh... It's going to feel a little jerky and abrasive because there's going to be things that I didn't write about that explain how uh, the story got to its conclusion. So I've done my best to pick. I think there are two or three main stories. There's two or three things that I'm going to make be a single episode, which are kind of explanatory no. Single episode. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember how to make those? No, but I'm going to. Uh, and so, yeah, basically I'm going to tell 
tell the end, tell what this story would have led to, uh, and try to get as much as I can in just kind of the wrap-up, and it's going to be sort of abrupt, but uh, but it's time. It's time for me to move on, and I, I wish with all of my heart that I could have figured out a way to get this out to a wider audience and uh, get more feedback and figure out what I've kind of grown or changed or done better to make it uh, like more enjoyable for the masses or anyway, it's something I love. I've, I've, I've found that I've loved writing and, uh, and I'm in, enjoy the storytelling part as well. So I wish, I wish there was a way to make it go on, but it's just the amount of time and energy and the amount of money I'm not currently making, <laughs> uh, makes it, makes it hard. So it's time for me, unfortunately, to, uh, move on from this but instead of just letting it go entirely and going to some arbitrary point and stopping uh, I feel like the people that have supported me and the people that have listened deserve to know what the end would have been or what my thoughts would have been for the end of this and so uh, season six will be kind of a wrap-up uh, of this journey it's two years it will be over two years when when it airs and the episodes will come out. I'm going to do my best to stick to a schedule. Uh, that being said, I want the stories to come out right, so it may also be broken up a little bit uh, as the stories come out because this time, this season, I definitely will try to write each story to its end and uh, make sure that it's edited down to the most important bit of information that it can be to get across. Uh, the message so uh, I am sad I'm sad to be saying this but it is also time for me to see what other journeys might fly out there in the future somewhere we've enjoyed all of the stories and <laughs> we are sad to hear that too yeah yeah sorry no need to be sorry yeah but anyway that being said don't stop telling your friends it's gonna keep <laughs> I mean the public uh, if you're listening anyone that's listening on the public uh it's going to be another, you know, they're a couple months behind, so. And, you know, he's going to drag it out for, you know, at least a year and a half. Or... No, <laughs> no, kidding. no more dragging it out. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it doesn't mean that some miracle can't happen. So if you know a famous person, go ahead and tell them and then, like. They can drop a mill on us. And... Yeah, they want to come back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to come back to the story and retell it uh, a, a different way or start a new season. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm stopping, but I'm not giving up. So please, if you keep listening, keep telling people, it still means a lot to me when people, uh, admit to, <laughs> to listening and, and saying that stories are great and that they matter to them. So that still makes my heart glad. So, uh, I hope you still listen to it, even though this journey, this, this story will be, be ending, but. Uh, uh, I hope it still grows and continues to be something and maybe in its finished form, uh, maybe it finds a wider audience. So uh, keep listening if you can. There you go. That'll be season six. I uh, don't know what else to say about this. That's it. All right. Well, that's a, a wrap for season five. Uh, Finally. <laughs> you have a promise of a much shorter, much more succinct uh, season six that will uh, joyously and unfortunately be the last of Tales from the Dungeon. 
Uh, I thank every, each and every one of you that have listened to any and all episodes and uh, really hope you have a great day, a great week, a great month, a great life. Uh, and I will be back. I will be taking a two-week break to kind of recoup and to kind of prepare for the for this ending. So uh, the blessings of Brasilia and Cinder and Gorion on all of you. And I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you.